Hey everyone, welcome back to Stuff My Therapist Says, powered by Macon Mamas. I am your host, Sarah Macon, and today we have an incredible guest. Her name is Kelsey George. She is an outpatient therapist at Macon Wellness. We are discussing self-limiting beliefs. Did you know that there's a chance that you might be your worst enemy and that you might be holding yourself back from things that you truly want in life? In this exclusive interview with Kelsey, we talk about how to identify self-limiting beliefs why they are hurting you, and how you can effectively address them so you can start to improve the beliefs that you have about yourself. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with therapist extraordinaire, Miss Kelsey George. Thanks so much for joining me, Kelsey. I'm so excited to have you on. Happy to be here, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. So today, Kelsey and I are going to be talking about self-limiting beliefs. Are there certain things that you want to do in life that you haven't done because of self-doubt? Are there certain beliefs or thoughts that you have that you feel are holding you back or limiting you or your happiness? And if that is the case, you definitely need to listen to this entire podcast because Kelsey is going to spill all the tea on self-limiting beliefs, examples, and how you can start to challenge self-limiting beliefs so you can start to do more of things that you want to do and live the type of life that you'd like to live. So starting out, Kelsey, what exactly are self-limiting beliefs? Self-limiting beliefs are false beliefs that prevent us from pursuing our goals or our desires. They can keep us from doing important things like applying for your dream job or finding the relationship you want or leaving the one you don't want, perhaps. Self-limiting beliefs can also keep you from doing unimportant things, right? Like going to a concert by yourself or having to make a dance party alone in your house. But I think it's important to note here that not all limiting beliefs are negative. Um, Some of our core beliefs are there to help us function in society, right? Like believing that theft is wrong uh, prevents us from stealing at the grocery store, right? So it's important to note that some of these beliefs are helpful for us, but a lot of them are very, very self-limiting. Yeah. So sometimes it's good to have self-limiting beliefs because it prevents you from doing something that could be bad or not healthy or not good for you. But then there's times when we do have these beliefs that are limiting us that are not necessarily the best for us. So so what are some common self-limiting beliefs that you've noticed clinically? Like what are the most common self-limiting beliefs? Some that come to my mind are, I can't. I can't because I am not. I don't have time. I'm not good enough. I will be judged. I'm not as good as them. I'm not smart enough. I'm too old or I'm too young. I don't have enough experience. Some of those examples that I just gave include our age, feelings, personal traits, etc. Self-limiting beliefs are disguised and they can manifest in all these different areas of our life. 
So a lot of these are absolute statements like I can't, I don't have time, I'm to this, I'm to that. And whenever we think in that way of absolutes, that's a cognitive distortion. Like that's a thinking error and that Mm -hmm. is going to skew your perception of reality, which is not healthy and, and not good. So I've noticed that a lot of these examples include certain personal traits and certain things that we do or do not have control over. Like you don't have control over how old or how young you are. You don't have control over your intellect. Like if you're smart, like I'm too smart or I'm not smart enough. Sometimes like these things can impact what you think and believe. And so what are some of the things that start to happen with clients that start to explore what their beliefs really are. Whenever we start to peel back the layers of the onion regarding self-beliefs, what are some things that typically end up coming up, Kelsey? The first thing that comes to my mind is the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. You said it perfectly, Sarah, that some of those examples that I gave are, are thinking in absolutes, right? So we would label that as a fixed mindset. And to highlight the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset is growth mindset is positioned in a way where you think that things can constantly change, right? You can grow, you can evolve. There is a huge difference between I can't and I won't. There's a huge difference between I've done something bad versus I am bad. There's a huge difference between I have failed and I am a failure, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we pull back that onion, we see that there's so much power in our language. And just that subtle difference in our language can really point us in the direction of, are we speaking from a growth mindset? Are we speaking from a fixed mindset? And a lot of the times with my clients, if I challenge just a few words in their sentence, it really shifts the sentence into being something totally different. And I think that at the root of the foundation is how you can start to even realize and become aware that a lot of these beliefs can be self-limiting. So with some minor shifts in how we think and how we speak, we can really start to change what our beliefs are. And I really love what you mentioned um, regarding the huge differences between I can't and I won't because I can't makes you feel or like when I think of like I can't it makes me feel like it's impossible versus I won't which means like you can do it you've just decided not to do that sure it it highlights the choice that we have in the matter right this responsibility we have yeah so regarding this responsibility that we have over our beliefs how can we start to approach these self-limiting beliefs and start to address them? I think the first piece of it, right, is getting really specific about your language and getting very specific too about how you're labeling your experience, right? Because as Brene Brown says it perfectly, emotions have ingredients, right? The first is what you are feeling and the second is what you call it. So just getting really specific about the way that you're talking and how you're talking like like we were really just mentioning. The tricky part about self-limiting beliefs is that 
what we need to do to deal with these emotions is the very thing that we're avoiding doing. So for example, let's say one of your limiting beliefs is that you can't meet new people because you're too depressed and think that nobody will like you. Well, if you're too depressed and sad, getting out and socializing will help destroy the depression. Mm -hmm. Another example is I can't have a good relationship because I'm too angry all the time. Well, if you're so angry at someone that you don't want to talk to them, chances are that talking to them will help you get over that anger. Right. So the scary part is that it's a positive feedback loop. Um, We don't do something we should because of our current feelings and limiting beliefs and doing nothing leads to more of those feelings. Exactly. And that's what can keep you in a rut and can keep you stuck. And I really like what you what you mentioned whenever you're talking about the depression example, because that is something that is so common with people that struggle with depression It's that like they want to have connections with people, but they're too exhausted or too depressed to get out of bed and to get ready and to spend time with people and to do all these things that are necessary to have social supports and relationships and absolutely adjustable. Um, And it doesn't need to be that way. My next question for you, Kelsey, is how does learned helplessness impact self-beliefs if it does at all? And what you were just describing, I think, with depression is very much what learned helplessness is or can be or can feel like. So all sorts of experiments have been done to show that animals, and including humans, will learn not to take action against harmful stimuli in their environment when they think that their actions have no impact. And I say kind of learn in in quotation marks because it turns out that the original theory actually got it backward. We actually don't learn to be helpless. Our default is helplessness. So instead, we have to learn to take control of our actions. It might seem like a subtle nitpicky difference, but it actually has huge implications for our lives. We start out as kind of this, this helpless this helpless being because we're young, we're babies, we rely on our caretakers to kind of mold us into this person who breaks free of this default, right? And that Mm -hmm. takes effort and that takes choice, what we were talking about before. Oh yeah, definitely. And then whenever you have to take the conscious effort to make changes and acting on those changes, it's a lot of work for sure. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a bit more about a new way for us to think about self-limiting beliefs? Sure. The good news about self-limiting beliefs is that almost every single person has experienced them at some point in their life. If you're thinking it, someone else has thought it too, Mm -hmm. right? And my favorite part, well, maybe not my favorite part, the most ironic part in a therapy session is when a client tries to think that they are so special and unique in this way, right? That that the little voice in their head is particularly worse than everybody else's. Mm -hmm. You know, I hear, but Kelsey, you don't understand. My voice is really loud or it's it's talking to me all the time. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, yeah, you, you, me and everybody else, right? 
I also see in my clinical work that a lot of self-limiting beliefs are tied to the opinions of other people. And the second we not only realize but truly believe that nobody else is thinking about us as much as we think they are because they are too busy thinking about themselves, um, then, then we can really be free of that. So a new way to think about these insidious beliefs is to label them as the voice of the ego. Mm-hmm. the thinking self, the amygdala in our brain. And for those that don't know, that's the emotional region of the brain, the region that lights up whenever we're having an emotional response to something. It's the the belief that all of the thoughts we hear do not need to be true. And I love what you mentioned about the internal self-limiting beliefs and how many times it's about other people and other people's perceptions. And many times people that struggle with social anxiety, have this is such a big part of what's driving their anxiety. It's because they are so anxious and concerned about what other people think of them Mm -hmm. and about how they are perceived, which again, like no one really has the time to be thinking about every other person in the world and like what's going on with them. Many times like we are our worst critics and we think about things like so much more than what someone else does. A hundred percent. I always tell my clients, if you're in conversation with someone and someone slips up or like says something a little weird or like whatever it is, you can tell that they were had a flash of embarrassment for a second. When you go home and you spend the rest of your night, are you laying in bed at night thinking about like that one thing that that person said or slipped up on? Of course not. You're probably concerned about what you said, right? We're not so concerned with other people in the way that we are concerned with ourselves because that's how we're wired, right? We're we're wired to be these thinking creatures where we, the I is the center of our universe. And that doesn't mean all of us are inherently narcissistic, right? It just means that that's the nature of the human experience. Yeah. And so if you're in that type of a situation where like, let's say you did say something and you are concerned about like how it affected another person like what do you recommend for someone to do you can always it, it's kind i think it depends on how egregious we think the thing is in our head right yeah. i mean if it we think it's so bad we can always just you know use that effective communication and and bring it up and say oh i didn't mean it that way or you know draw attention to it but if it's less if it's not really that big of a deal, mm-hmm. a lot of the times letting it go is the right route because sometimes we kind of subconsciously and inadvertently draw attention to ourselves that really doesn't need to be there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, if you didn't bring that up, I never even would have thought about it to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So it's yeah. really finding the difference of like, do I want to draw attention to this thing that I kind of just screwed up on or is it better to just let it be? Yeah, yeah. Either addressing it shortly afterwards so you're not dwelling on it for too long or... Working on letting it go. Absolutely. Yeah, if it's a small little thing, then the probability is that you're thinking about it more than the other person is. Right, right. And I tell my clients, don't think about what the other person is thinking. Make that decision based on what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Are you going to sit up at night and be thinking about that? Well, if you are, maybe you do draw some attention to it then just so Mm -hmm. that it it soothes your own anxiety. Yeah, definitely. Another thing that you mentioned too regarding self-limiting beliefs was the example of how many times you've had clients that 
may think or feel that this situation is so unique to them. And I've experienced that myself so many times clinically where I've had clients that are convinced like, this is just me that experiences this. Or like, I'm the only person that like has these alcohol cravings or I'm the only person that struggles with anxiety to this extent. And so in those cases, like what words of wisdom or advice do you have to people that feel like it's genuinely just them and that they're alone with their self-limiting beliefs? A big crutch I always use is to rely on the research, right? The, re- mm-hmm. the research shows that they're just simply not the only one. And a lot of people experience this. And that's simply why we're talking about this in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Is because it's such a big phenomenon. So I think the best way to overcome self-limiting beliefs is to point them out, identify them, mm-hmm. label them, call them for what they are. This will call to your attention how many times a day you have them. And have the courage to ask yourself, right? What if I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. We ask ourselves the what if questions a hundred times a day about terrible things that can happen to us. So why not use it in a positive way for once, mm-hmm. right? Um, how is this belief actually serving me? What if this belief wasn't true? Then what? And maybe then you create a new belief and stick with it even if you don't totally and completely believe it just yet. Because that fake it till you make it approach research supports that that can work too. It's so true. And with time, the I the concept behind fake it until you make it, <laughs> um, you know, you start to trick yourself into believing that you can become the, situ- the, the person that you want to be or that you're getting one step closer. And part of like fake it till you make it, I remember whenever I was in school, one of the things that I read was like if you dress up and take your exams that you're supposed to score a lot better and do a lot better on your mm. tests. So I started to do that. And then I was like, well, what if I start dressing like the person that like I want to like be in the future, like yeah. down the road and just going for it then. And that was something I like found to be super helpful of like the external matching the inside type of thing. And I just wanted to share that in the what if is such a big thing that you mentioned. Mm. Many times when people think, and what if it's like, oh, what if this? Or like, what if I lose that? Or like, what if, like, what do people worry about? Like, I don't know, like, what if like the government shuts down? What if the economy goes to crap? Like, what if? You can think of literally anything. Oh my right? gosh, like, yeah. What like, if it I, just doesn't end. Yeah, <laughs> like, what if I walk outside and slip and fall and, like, break my neck? Like, I know that's yeah. such a horrible thought, but, I mean, you can literally come up with everything, so. And it spirals so fast. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So why not, you know, think of that in a in a positive spin for once, right? And yeah. Have a, like, well, what if, you know, what if this belief isn't true? Yeah. So if a negative what if spiral can happen, then a positive what if spiral can happen. Like, what if this turns out better than I expect? What if the economy ends up rebounding and things end up getting better? Mm -hmm. What if politically things get better? What if society is able to improve? What if I'm able to become even 5% happier today? Sure. And one more note on the fake it till you make it piece that I think is worth noting you brought up a, a really good piece of, of research. There have been studies where the more that a person smiles, 
the more likely they are to be happier and to experience Mm -hmm. more positive emotions. Now, that's not to say that we're focusing on what makes the person smile Mm -hmm. or if the smile is genuine. It's literally just smiling. So if that means if it's natural or forced, it doesn't matter. So that is just really highlights how if you focus on something and you say, I'm going to force myself to smile at this or I'm, I'm going to be mindful of this today. It actually still has a positive correlation with feeling happier. Yeah. And it's so true. I experienced that myself today. I had a meeting earlier and the contents of the meeting were object, objectively positive, uh, objectively very negative, actually. A lot of challenges that were quite urgent and pressing. And whenever I whenever I answered my phone, I forced myself to smile and I just kept smiling throughout hearing all the challenges that were happening and then providing resolutions and solutions. And myself, whenever I was handling that phone call, I just felt so much, I just felt a lot happier and Mm -hmm. so much more optimistic versus if I were to answer and like, oh my gosh, like what now? Or answering it with the, with the what if, well, what if that doesn't work out? Or what if this doesn't work out? Like I forced myself to smile, even though I didn't necessarily feel like it in the mm-hmm. beginning. But then by the end of the phone call, and it was only about five or six minutes long, I felt fantastic. And so even if you're addressing something challenging or if you're going through a hard time, like forcing yourself to smile, even if it doesn't feel genuine or authentic in the beginning, with time, you're going to feel happier absolutely that's such a good example of it sarah that really captures it quite quite perfectly yeah yeah so let's talk about stories that we've experienced with self-limiting beliefs yeah when i think about self-limiting beliefs i i always think about the quote from albert einstein that is everybody is a genius but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree then it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. Mm -hmm. I first saw that quote when I was a senior in college. I was deeply anxious and insecure about my career choice and what I wanted to do after college. And I was kind of completely unaware of these emotions. And I was actually attempting, fun fact, to go to dental school. And the universe kept flashing those big red lights that said, stop. And I just kept going. I ignored the signs of struggling in classes and not really liking the hard sciences. And I just kept going and not in the hard work, never give up kind of way, but in the you're not listening to yourself and your body kind of way. And I struggled with school and academia since I was in high school. But then I realized it's not that I was dumb or that I wasn't smart. It's that I was in the wrong field studying Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. Um, When I moved from the hard sciences to the social sciences, I soared. Mm -hmm. And I explored parts of myself that I didn't know existed. And I created all of these new beliefs about myself and my intelligence when I listened to myself and my body. And kind of pivoted from what I was doing before. So you ended up eventually listening to your inner voice that was guiding you in the right direction of like, just because your sister or your family is in dentistry doesn't necessarily mean that Kelsey needs to be in that if your interests are different, if your talents and your specialties are elsewhere, 
There's no need to put a round peg in a square hole and live a life that's inauthentic or incongruent because it's a very painful way to live. Absolutely. So it really highlights too that some of those beliefs that we have, sometimes maybe they're trying to tell us something, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's not that we need to deeply believe them, but it's that we need to question them. Why yeah. does this keep coming up for me? What is this telling me? Yeah. And that's what I finally had the courage to do um, after I ignored so many of those of those signs. And then whenever you started to address these self-limiting beliefs that you had, like what were the positives that came out of it? It is true that I didn't really properly examine those self-limiting beliefs until I was in therapy myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the help of a professional to help me label them and identify them for for what they are. Mm-hmm. And it was it was relieving to think that I wasn't, you know, this stupid person or someone that wasn't smart enough to do what I wanted to do. It was um, inspiring and eye-opening and really helped me realize that a lot of the thoughts that I had in my pet in my head previously simply weren't true that's a very powerful stuff that a therapist was able to to help you to address these self-limiting beliefs and this type of stuff can literally happen to anyone like um when we're talking about experiences with self-limiting beliefs i remember sometimes i would compare myself to other people who had companies and you think like, oh my gosh, they're so much farther along than, mm-hmm. than myself and the company that I'm leading now. Like what's wrong? Like what's wrong with me? What do I need to do better? And all these different things. And then I thought about it the one day and it's like, you know what? Like everyone, you can't compare yourself to anyone. You mm-hmm. can just compare yourself to yourself and mm-hmm. see what it is that you can do to grow and improve. And it's fascinating because some of those people that I would look at and see like their quote unquote success wasn't even genuine when I say genuine or even like authentic, because I think of like Elizabeth Holmes. Right. That was like one person like, oh my gosh, she's like also super young. She has this like pretty innovative healthcare company. And then I find out along with the rest of the world that it's completely fraudulent. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I can't even believe that for a second that I ever felt bad about like my progress versus like her progress when it was just, entirely a lie and fraudulent i know that's like something that i've talked to like other colleagues that i have like sometimes Mm -hmm. like people that have businesses will do that so if you are a business owner and you happen to be listening you are not alone and reminding yourself comparing yourself to others is never going to be a good thing because that can make your self-beliefs really really negative because you're not going to compare yourself to someone that's worse off than than you or anything like that it's always like a comparison that like makes you feel like crap sure not effective sure and even if you are comparing yourself to someone who's a bit worse off it's like well, why are you doing that also? It's yeah. a, it really just goes to highlight that c- comparison in general can have quite quite the detrimental effect on us. Oh, yeah, definitely. This was such an informative podcast and it's so great to learn more about self-limiting beliefs with you, Kelsey. What are some words of wisdom that you have for our audience? To tie it all together, mm-hmm. pay attention to your language 
the limits of our language limit our our world, our interaction with others, our interaction with ourselves, and pay attention to how your language can become a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. right? If you say you can't, then you probably won't, mm-hmm. right? And one of my favorite personal and professional mantras is actually quite simple yet extremely powerful, which is that if you really wanted to, you would. But in order to do that, you have to pay attention to the stories and the beliefs that you're telling yourself. And that's where change really starts. It's in the mind, starting with your thoughts and your beliefs. So thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast, Kelsey. If you are someone who is struggling with self-limiting beliefs and you're ready to get support, reach out to our team at 833-274-HEAL. Our client care team will match you with a online therapist that will be able to support you in addressing your self-limiting beliefs and will connect you with a therapist that not only cares and also accepts your insurance. Be sure to reach out to us, 833-274-HEAL, or you can always schedule online at makeandwellness.com. Make sure to follow us across all social media platforms at Make and Wellness. And please, please, please take a second and share this with any friends or loved ones who are also struggling with self-limiting beliefs because Kelsey dropped so many words of wisdom and you didn't even have to pay a copay or an allowable rate to get to listen in. So share the love with your friends and family. And until next time, please be well.